This morning, if you'd like to get ready, if you have your Bibles on your phones or physical Bibles, uh, we're going to be reading from 1 Timothy chapter 3, and we're going to be reading the first seven verses. Many of you will know already what the passage is about. 1 Timothy chapter, uh, chapter 3. We'll read it in just a minute, uh, but you can get ready now if you'd like. In the world, we have many different models for choosing leaders, many different criteria. We live in a democracy, which means that essentially we have a popularity contest between two or more people and we choose the more popular person to lead us. Sometimes policy affects it, but my understanding from political strategists is that at the end of the day, Popularity and likability is what sways most, most elections. Other countries, uh, dictatorships, uh, they often choose their leaders by who can bully the best, maybe with guns or behind the scenes maneuvering. So you have Russia, where Putin is a president dictator. He's bullied everyone else so that he's the leader. Other countries are similar. Uh, many, many in Africa. Organizations sometimes choose leaders based on uh, qualifications. What does your resume say that you can do? Maybe you should be the CEO. Uh, this morning we're going to be looking together at how the church should be choosing leaders. What kind of people should the church be choosing? And not just what kind of people the church should be choosing as leaders and how we should be thinking about that whole thing, but how that applies to those who aren't leaders as well. Because as I was studying this, it just, uh, I believe God revealed to me um, that this passage which talks about leaders is relevant to all of us who are, who are a part of a church. So, so um, uh, let's read together First uh, Timothy chapter 3, and uh, we're going to be reading the first seven verses. I'm reading from the NIV translation. Here is a trustworthy saying. This is Paul writing to his apprentice Timothy. Whoever aspires to be an overseer, uh, that's a Greek word uh, which we sometimes translate as elder or pastor, uh, but here it's translated overseer. Whoever desires to be an overseer desires a noble task. Now the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him. And he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. And final verse. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. 
This is especially relevant for our, our passage for our church to be thinking about as we, we near the time when we're actually hoping to call a minister in the near future. Timothy was Paul's apprentice. Paul was the first missionary uh, in the church. He went out, established many churches across Turkey and, and Greece and even uh, probably uh, Rome. Uh, and Timothy was his apprentice, went with him, and eventually Timothy went to the city of Ephesus and he was helping to build up the church and get it established. And so here we have Paul writing to Timothy, who's in Ephesus, and he's saying, Timothy, there needs to be overseers in the church, leaders, elders, pastors, and here's how you should be choosing them. Here's the type of men that you should be looking for. Paul starts by saying, whoever uh, aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. It's special. It isn't something to be taken on lightly. It's a weighty matter. That's what Paul is saying. Don't, Don't just choose men to be elders and pastors in this church in Ephesus, which Timothy's building up. Timothy became a kind of missionary after the mold of Paul, uh, just much less famous. Uh, This is important. This matters, Timothy. He has this huge list of who people in church leadership positions ought to be. You kind of might expect Paul to say that the leaders should be the the smartest, uh, maybe the most socially prominent the most eloquent, richest. Uh, yeah, the richest, Ooh, I'm getting a bit loud, uh, members uh, of the church, uh, but his list is actually really surprisingly empty of those kind of things. In fact, apart from saying that uh, church leaders ought to be able to teach, most of these things, they're not, they're not practical skills. Instead, Paul focuses on the character and the reputation of the church leaders. This is probably because these aspects of a person are more important to God than just abilities. We think to the Old Testament, God rejected the tall and handsome Saul, who is king of Israel, in favor of the righteous David, David whose heart was right before God. And the scriptures even tell us about Jesus, uh, that he, uh, we actually have it uh, there, that he actually had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. The scriptures kind of give us this idea of Jesus as, as not being particularly stand out in the crowd. It was who Jesus was that made him unique and special. It was his character, his righteousness. Uh, Not, it wasn't his physical or uh, abilities or, or maybe even his practical abilities. 
So Paul paints this picture, right, uh, of an elder or pastor who's both upright and moral. Uh, Paul tells Timothy to elevate individuals to leadership who would be good examples to the rest of the church body. These people are to be judged on their spiritual maturity uh, rather than their charisma or some other similar qualification. The reason that this matters, the reason why this matters for, for people who aren't elders, right? Like, this is a scary passage for, for all the elders who are here in the building. Uh, myself, uh, Cornelius is here, Phil, Francois. Um, but the reason that this matters is because all of us should be exhibiting these qualities. This, this list isn't specific to elders. It's not that if you're not an elder, you can be violent and not gentle. Um, as, as a matter of fact, when you, when you read this list, the, 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 perf- the, the, the person who probably perfectly fulfills this is Jesus who we should all be striving to be like. And so Paul almost paints a picture of like, like Jesus. <laughs> but the reason he does that is because we, sh- we should all be striving to be like Jesus. And we need physical examples of people who are wholeheartedly striving to be like Jesus, who are spiritually mature, so that we can step in their footsteps as they try to follow the footsteps of Jesus. And they'll actually fail because they're humans as well. But the people that we should be choosing should be people who are wholeheartedly trying to follow Jesus so that they can be examples to us. This is why it matters. Um, and so this list, it, it means if, if you're not an elder, you, sh- you should still be faithful to your wife. It doesn't mean that if you're not an elder, you can be unfaithful. Church leaders have an outsized role in, influence the be- in influencing the behaviors, the attitudes of an entire congregation. And because of that, it's all the more important that church leaders provide a living example of what it means to live a life modeled on Jesus. Let's, let's really briefly, we'll just jump through some of the thing that, things that Paul lists. Um, and, um, and we'll pause on a couple of them. But as we jump through, just remember that uh, elders should be, have an ex, elders have an extra responsibility to be exhibiting these kind of characteristics. Uh, but if you're a Christian, you should be as well. Firstly, we see that elders are to be above reproach. They are to have excellent reputations. And and this makes sense because they're representing Jesus himself. Secondly, faithful to his wife. And some people have mistaken this to mean that an elder or a pastor must be married. 
Uh, but you have to remember that Paul, who was writing this, him, Paul himself was actually a single person. Paul is talking about sexual purity. Uh, not about making a requirement that an elder or pastor must be married in order to serve in that way. Uh, the third character trait isn't, isn't a word or concept which we use very often in English. Temperate, it says. The simplest way I could think of to define it was, was, was to say it's opposite. Being the opposite of temperate means to be rash and unthinking in the way that you make decisions. Some translations try and capture that, that idea by translating the word as sensible. He also lists being self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, and, and, the, and the first and really the only kind of ability, he says, they must be able to teach uh, there in um, verse 2. This one's really interesting to think about because is he saying that every elder needs to be able to preach a sermon? Is that what he means when he says that elders must be able to teach? We actually don't believe that. Because two chapters later, writing to Timothy still about the same context, Paul actually defines two different types of elders. In, two, uh, in, in, in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17, Paul writes, The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. So what we see in 1 Timothy chapter 5 is that Paul actually draws a distinction. He says that there will be some elders who have an extra focus on preaching and teaching. And that's why in our denomination we, we, have, we have normally one or sometimes two people who we call a minister or a pastor. And what we're saying is that they're an elder who has an extra responsibility, especially for preaching and teaching. If we call a, um, an individual in the next number of months, they will be an elder who has an extra responsibility for preaching and teaching. We don't believe that being a, a, a pastor or a preaching elder uh, means that they're any more of an elder than the other elders or that he's even the first amongst equals or anything like that, but that his role is different from the role of the other elders. Nevertheless, the requirement here is for all elders to be able to teach. That means that even if you aren't a teaching or a preaching elder, a pastor or a minister, you still need to be able to teach others to follow Christ. And by your words, by the way that you live your life, it's possible to teach in many different ways, in many different contexts. Some people teach just by the way that they live. Others teach in one-on-one -on -one discipleship. Some 
Some people are hospitable. hospitable. They invite someone over. Other people might, might teach from the front as they lead the service. Cornelius did a little bit of that this morning for us. Paul says that it's important that elders have the ability to, to teach. And then he continues, verse 3, saying about elders, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. Think about the terrible damage that has been done to the name of Jesus in our own culture, our own society, by the church leaders and by the churches who reveal themselves to be lovers of money. When I speak with a non-Christian friend, many of them have the default assumption that church is really just a scam to get their money. Paul says that our, our, our leaders can't be lovers of money. Because, because if they're not lovers of money, then, then they will lead in the same way. And the church won't be focused on money. And hopefully the whole church won't be lovers of money. The, the members. If you're not an elder, you, you shouldn't be a lover of money. When, when you're a lover of money, you declare to the world that money is the most precious thing to you. You should be declaring to the world by your actions, by the way that you live your life, by your priorities, that Jesus is the most precious thing to you. Not lovers of money. Paul also writes that an elder pastor ought to have a respectable and honorable family. Because if that task is impossible for the individual, it is unlikely that they will make good leaders in the church. Uh, The Puritans, they're an ancient sort of evangelical group in the world. We, We owe a lot of our theological beliefs to the thinking which the Puritans did. But the Puritans actually used to say, it was one of their favorite sayings, that the family should be, or it is, a microcosm of the church. If, if you're um, if you're part of the a family, that's worth thinking about. If you're a parent in a household with, with young children and you haven't been taking your responsibility to be a spiritual leader to them, seriously? Well, now's the time to start taking that seriously. Because it matters. In in verse 6, we see Paul actually give a requirement uh, that's really for the benefit of potential leaders. He says that they must not be recent converts to Christianity, lest Satan use the opportunity to fill them with pride and bring about their eternal destruction. It's not that a new Christian can't be a a great leader, but that there is a need to lovingly care for that person and not put them in a position beyond their spiritual maturity. 
Additionally, however, if you think about it, this verse also teaches us that elders and pastors ought to be humble leaders. It's possible for a Christian to be, for a person to be a Christian for a long time and to be still ruled by pride. And this type of individual shouldn't be appointed to the task of elder. But it's also a warning for us because we see here the danger that someone will become filled by pride, verse 6, and fall under the same judgment as the devil. This can happen even if you're not an elder. If you are filled by pride, you are at risk of sharing in the judgment which will come upon Satan himself. This is important. It's supposed to be scary. And and the reason why it matters that leaders get this right is so that they can help people who are struggling with this. Because if they themselves are filled with pride, how can they help others to overcome pride? So really, this passage is giving us outlines for what it looks like to be a part of a church, to be a follower of Jesus. And then verse 7, our final verse. Uh, Verse 7 points out that these individuals should have a good reputation with outsiders. According to this passage, Christians who are in official leadership positions are to be upright and respectable people. And not just for the sake of being upright and respectable, but so that others can see their godly lives. And their moral character is of the utmost importance because they're ambassadors for Jesus. Just think about the damage to the name of Jesus has been done by the sexual abuse of children by leaders in the church. This is is why it matters. Because of Jesus. Because we are representing Him to the world. We are not our own. We're bought with a price. The Scriptures actually say that every believer is now a priest of the Most High God. And when you sin, you damage the name of Jesus. All the more so when a church leader sins. The heresy which this passage disproves is that you can be an excellent Christian leader while embracing an ungodly lifestyle. As a leader of one of the churches of Jesus Christ, people will look to you and emulate the way that you live. Jesus actually says in in Luke chapter 6, verse 40, the, the student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. That's why it matters who we choose as elders, who we call 
as a pastor. If the leadership of a church is riddled with sinful practices, sinful attitudes, it would be crazy to assume that the congregation would be different. If you are a Christian, you are called to live like Jesus, to glorify Him with your life. If you're an elder, you're wondering how to apply this to your life, read this list. If you're a congregation member and you're wondering how to apply this to your life, this passage, read this list. We're all called to holiness. We're all called to righteousness. We're all called to be ambassadors for Christ. We know, of course, that humans are sinful and that no one on earth will perfectly reflect the glory and the majesty and the righteousness of Jesus Christ, our Lord. So ultimately, all of us should be looking to Jesus, Jesus who actually did everything on this list and more perfectly. He is the one who should be our bright, shining north star, the one that we're following. It is He who made a pathway back to paradise for humanity, and it is in His footsteps which we ought to tread. Hopefully, our elders and our pastors uh, today and in years to come will do a good job of of following in Jesus' footsteps and providing examples for us. But whether they do or, or, or whether they fail, ultimately all of us should be fixing our eyes on the ultimate example of Jesus Christ. Uh, let's pray together and then uh, the music team will come up and lead us in our final song. Heavenly Father, uh, we, we just come before you and, 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 and we confess that we, we are sinful. We do not live as we ought to live. We leave undone things that we, we ought to do and, and we do things which we ought not to do. And we, we ask for your forgiveness together. Uh, but Father, we also ask for your blessing we ask that you will help us as we seek to pursue Jesus, to walk in the footsteps of your Son. Father, please especially bless us as we, as we look to call a new pastor. Let him be a person who will help to guide us to be like Jesus. Um, we pray, please bless us with an amazing uh, uh, a leader who, who, who just is filled with righteousness. Um, let us be filled with righteousness too, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.